You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers. What's it like working for a guy like Johnny Depp? Because everybody talks about him. I mean, I've met him a few times thanks to you. Um, what's he like? Like, a for those that don't guy. know. A sweet, lovable man. Kind, compassionate, friendly. I've never seen him angry. There. He seems I mean, like he maintains so. his composure very well under pressure, obviously, yeah. as we've all seen. I mean, Think yeah. about what, what, what happened happened to his life i mean he went from this guy i mean he hung out with nicholas cage said you know well let you should come with me to auditions you know you'll probably get some work while he was trying to be in a band and that's how he, he it started nicholas cage took him to auditions and and but he always wanted to be in a rock band and now he can be Hello, welcome to another episode of 2020. My name is Corey Peza here, as always, with Siobhan and Ben, and we are super pumped to welcome back our British ambassador, Mr. Steve Wood. Back for even more stories that I didn't know that he would have had because he already had so many episodes with us full of everything you wanted to hear. So it was really great to jump in and hear what's going on in the world of touring, Hollywood vampires, all sorts of craziness in his world. Well, I mean, the other thing is, too, is that he tells stories that he's like a comedian where you want to ask him, like, do that bit. And I, and I, I coaxed him into talking about the Beatles, and I thought he was going to regurgitate a story about George Harrison. No, just continues on telling me a bunch of things yeah. I don't know. There's other he's Beatles just the, stories. <laughs> yeah. So he's just the coolest dude ever. And by the way, did I mention he manages Johnny Depp? So... Yeah. yeah, so we get into that in this episode. Without giving too much away, let's jump in. Part one with Steve Wood right now. Like and subscribe at 2020-d.com. Do it. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Benny Goodman. I'm just going to drive right into the craziness, the MK Ultra, the peak of this trip, because you can't slow the man we're about to talk to down. You just can't. He's an endless bombast of muchismo, bravado, interesting stories. Actually might be the most interesting guy on the planet. He manages a little known guy named Johnny Depp. He, he knows this dude and happens to also manage him as an artist manager. This guy, Joe Perry from Aerosmith, a little-known band called Godsmack. On top of the incredulous amounts of people that he just knows because he's friends with them. One of my favorite people on the damn planet. Didn't even introduce my cohorts because I was so excited. Siobhan and Corey. Steve Wood, the artist manager, the guy from Shelter Music, the dude who does everything with a beautiful, beautiful accent nonetheless. Steve, how are you? 
Well, I am speechless after that introduction. <laughs> Whatever you're taking, I want some. You can, you can be speechless because Ben has enough speech for everyone. Absolutely. It's been a while since I've heard one of those epic oh. introductions. So, wow, Ben, I'm impressed. You, you know what? Like, I felt like I was in neutral for a while in my life, but then I realized we had to have Steve Wood back. And I've just been excited. Well, I, I I just hope I live up to that introduction. My God. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, guys, it's so good to see you all again. Yeah, you too, man. Here we are. Yeah, we yeah. figured you know, out. It's, uh, it's time we check back in because, you know, it's been, I think, almost a year. Uh, pretty close to it. Was, it was the end of uh, 2021, really? I think, the last time we had you on. Um, so I'm sure a lot has happened yeah. in the past year that we need to catch up with. Well, I got rid of the beard. That, that happened. I had a COVID <laughs> beard. I'd never did it before. I just wanted to see if I could do it. And yes, it did make me look older. So I got rid of that. <laughs> I think a lot of people went through that phase. So you're not alone in that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, well and, can you um, fill us in on what, what's been happening with you in the last year? Not to interrupt you, but, but what's new with you? Uh, yeah, well... Um, for the longest time, it was extremely uh, quiet, dull, nothing really happening. And um, we were booking tours and canceling them, rebooking them. And that's just the way it went for like two years. And so finally, COVID has you know dissipated. It, it's gone into the background, although I'm hearing that's starting to come back. I don't know if you guys are hearing that, but I was talking to one of my travel agents today and he's got eight tours that are out and most of them are having COVID problems because they're in buses. Mm -hmm. You're in a tube, one guy gets it, boom. You know, well, I mean, I, I've been, I've been hearing, well, my friend Kamal, who I know you know Kamal, our, our mutual friend Kamal is now with Weird Al Yankovic and they had to go through all this crazy stuff. And the guy that got sick was Weird Al. So he actually had to stay in the parking lot on his bus quarantined while they were at like the Four Seasons, his entire staff. And my buddy was like, this is just so insane. And, you know, they have meet and greets and all that sort of stuff. And it's 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 very scary for people. And the other thing is it's also a logistical nightmare because gas is more expensive. Even if you're flying, I, I, I know during COVID, a lot of these pilots retired and you can't just get pilots out of nowhere to drive these right. jumbo jets and fly them all over the world like bruce dickinson is on tour with iron maiden he's not available for jet blue so when you want to get back from atlanta you don't have as many choices anymore even if you're joe perry because johnny smith who's been flying for 40 years is like nah i'm out or flying private for our friends because that's where the money's at, and all those guys are just as scared of COVID as uh, the the pilots probably are. Is that You're accurate? Absolutely right. Yeah, and, and look, I'm going to tell you a story about this in a minute, with involving the band Seether. Please do, but, please do. But Seether, it's a good one. It's a good. Oh, one. Oh, good. We were but, just on the road with them. I can't wait to hear that. But go on. We, yeah, we just, yeah. we just, we're friends with those guys. We just talked to them. Well, um, but just so you know, I mean, I was looking at Heathrow the other day. It's a nightmare in Heathrow. Have you seen the pictures with the little baggage? It's oh, no. out of control. There's, they're, they're running out of space because the bags keep piling up because something's wrong with the baggage control. It, it's, it looks unbelievable if you ever get to see it. 
Um, then they're canceling flights left, right, and center uh, in Europe because they don't have enough pilots. It's happening here too. And in the music business, you cannot get buses, trucks, sound crew, lighting crew, and drivers. I mean, yes, I can crazy. attest to that. <laughs> crazy the drivers all lost their jobs when covid and so they took delivery jobs because they got you know paid to drive those big rigs and uh boom you couldn't get you know they could not get drivers so here's this the cedar story and it's it's really good they managed at shelter where i shine part of and brian frank their manager called me and said look, would you help put the tour together? And I said, yeah, sure, happy to. So it took a while to get buses. I was saying, wow, this is difficult. And I'm going through all my lists. Finally, you know, I found the bus. All good, great. Got the bus. Now for the first month of this tour, I have a new album and they're doing Weekend Warrior stuff, right? So hopping out of Nashville, they do Monday through Thursday, touring, go back to Nashville, all go home, come back Monday, pick up the bus. They have a trailer full of merch. On the fourth weekend, the bus drops at Nashville, band crew go away. The driver somehow got really confused and thought that was the end. He unhooked the trailer, swear to God, and drove to the Jonas Brothers. Two days later, <laughs> two days later, the the um, bus yard where the trailer was called me and said, "Hey, are you guys coming to pick up your trailer?" I said, well, "What do you mean, pick up the trailer? We'll we'll be there in three days to start the tour with um, three days great, uh, three doors down with Caesar." He goes, "Well, there's no bus here." make some calls, they realized this horrendous mistake had happened. Now, you got to understand, it's the beginning of a cycle. The They're on their second radio single, both went to number one, I believe, and I could not find a bus. And I was terrified that I would have to go into shelter and say, hey, guys, I know you got a new album and you've got two number ones and you're about to start the tour, but... I'm afraid you have to cancel it because we can't get a bus. I mean, this is mag this is huge. And I was terrified I'd have to go in, explain this. And I was up like three nights. Like I was physically ill over this because literally, if you can't get a bus, you can't tour. Finally, the, the planets aligned. I got the bus. And I'm thinking, thank God. Then your owner said, but I don't have a driver. I go, oh no, we're back to square one. I, I went everywhere, I got, tried everything, I found a driver. Now he realized my predicament. So he goes, well, I'm gonna gouge this guy 300% over the rate for bus drivers, 300%. What am I gonna say? I, I said, yes. So that night, I thought, thank God, I'm going to bed and get a good night's sleep. It's over. I woke up. It was a text. Hey, dude, I took another gig. 
good luck. And I, I just, I don't know, I just looked at this thing. And anyway, within about a couple of hours, the planets aligned again and oh I found God. a driver. And the driver was one of the backline crew for my son's band, Like a Storm, who had a license and he could drive. And the tour carried on. But I'm telling you, Jeez. that was the craziest. I've never seen that before. That sounds and like a mixture of who's on. That's, that sounds like a mixture of who's on first and Spinal Tap. Like if that's not like if there's a I know they're making a new Spinal Tap. If there isn't new material to take from. Like, oh, my God, Steve. Oh, like, the bus driver you, debacle is well known. I think this is a lot of people. Bus are driver from this. debacle. Is that yeah. the name of a new band? <laughs> it the could band. be. No, but even even for us, that's that's the running joke is who is the best paid person on a tour. It's the bus driver, like more than all yeah. the musicians, because there's such a premium on it. It's so hard to find them. And then you get some people that, you know, they can drive a big vehicle, but they don't know how to drive a, a, a passenger bus of people that are sleeping in a way that makes oh. you feel like you're not going to die every night. You know, it's it's definitely a skill set that's hard to find right Star now. Coach drivers, they have a whole different skill set to drive the, the rock star. I mean, to, you know, the the uh, sort of the top, the guy that has his own star coach and everything. You have to right. treat them very differently. There's a different skill set. You know, crew drivers, it's pretty black and white. You drop, you leave, you go to sleep, you come back, you're done. It's different if you're driving, let's say, Joe Perry. He has different needs. Come to think of it, he travels by private jet, so that probably wasn't a good idea. <laughs> but but you, you get it. Yeah, you, right. you get it. But, uh, yeah, the whole uh, the whole business is, is nuts right now. And when Aerosmith were doing the um, Vegas residency and Steven Tyler – pulled out just about everybody that was in a, in a uh, on the road crew who had like um premium positions front of house monitors lighting designers immediately moved on to another tour i have friends in in this business obviously they they just they're turning things down every day it's it's kind of nuts it's kind of nuts and godsmack i gotta tell you Sully said, I'm not going to tour in 22 because everybody is. And he said, we're going to tour in 23. And now I got to hand it to him. He was right, you know, because it's it's tough touring. And there's only enough dollars to go around. You can't go to everything. And everything's out on tour. So, yeah. so no, what you're saying absolutely. is if, if you ever wanted to be in the industry... <laughs> Learn to drive a bus or learn to be yeah. on the crew and start. Now's the time to yeah, break yeah. in, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I will tell you this. I don't know if you look on social media for these festivals in Europe. I mean, huge numbers, mm -hmm. huge numbers. Have you been seeing any of it? Oh, yeah. some pictures. Yeah, videos. Green Day. Yeah, yeah, Green Day. Uh, the Eagles in Hyde Park. Uh, Glastonbury. A Hellfest in France, massive. It's almost like I could see the curvature of the Earth in the back. There was a clip <laughs> that um crazy. the the drummer from Corn uh, posted. I saw on Instagram, and Very the crowd, the, yeah, 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 yeah. So the crowd was so big that you could see the the delay from the kick drum because everyone was was doing this to the sound. So every time the kick drum hit, you saw a wave go from the front to the back. You could see the speed of sound in people's head banging. It was insane. Wow. I saw a Steel Panther last night. They had 
thousands of people doing this, you know, to, to um, Weenie Ride was the name of the song. <laughs> Do you know the song? Yes. Weenie, weenie, oh, weenie, yeah, weenie, of course. <laughs> I mean, there must have been 60,000 people doing that. And um, it's huge in Europe. But what isn't like huge right now is bands doing five shows a week. Those numbers are slightly down, actually. Uh, festivals, because there's a smorgasbord of activity and there's something for everybody. Big. People want to come and be entertained. But, you know, doing your own shows five days a week, that's not doing blowout numbers yet, you know. But um, it'll get there. I hope so, because we just put the Hollywood vampires on sale. And for next year, it's doing well. Yeah, well, hold on. Can we just stop for a moment? Because in the Hollywood vampires, you have three like, as we say in Hebrew, Shalosh Regalim, which means the three legs, like the biggest holidays, except the holiday is Alice Cooper, Johnny Depp, and Joe Perry. And each and one now, of them by Tommy themselves. You, I saw that. Tom, Tommy has been elevated. He's been promoted what, from the Alice Cooper band to an official vampire. Is that the deal? Correct. And he's a great, he's great guitarist. But here's the thing. Johnny Depp, like... If he was to go into a magazine and say something, let's say, quote, John Lennon and say, I'm bigger than Jesus, he might not be wrong. So I feel like anything that you might say that would apply to any other band <laughs> for five days a week does not exist for Captain Jack Sparrow slash at night plays with Jeff Beck. Am I right here now? Uh, yeah. This day? Absolutely. Absolutely. Have you, I mean, I, I don't know if you know, I was reading that, that people are coming to Johnny with, with roles now, movies. I mean, he's, he's coming back and, and big Oh, I have time. no doubt. Yeah. I mean, he's on tour with Jeff Beck. I mean, uh, did you hear any of the songs? The one about oh, yeah. Hedy Lamar? I yeah, really he, liked it. He's got a really cool voice that like when I, I have to, I saw him live a few times, but he's got like that quiet kind of crooner thing going yeah, for him. That like, unless you really listen with good headphones on, like it's kind of hard, but like he really has this interesting voice that I can understand why Jeff Beck would go, I could, I could do something with this. It's so unique and it's not, it's not what I expected out of him, but I guess considering he was a musician before he was even an actor, it Correct. makes sense. That he and that he hangs out with Joe Perry and 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 Clapton and Jimmy Page and everybody else and Paul McCartney and Dave Grohl. Whatever. You'd expect this guy might be good at this point, and it seems like he's finally reached that level, especially as a vocalist. Because as a guitar player, he's good. Like I've heard him play, but his yeah, singing yeah. is so uh -huh. unique. Is that going to be the next iteration of of the Vampires? You think like more Johnny singing? Correct. Correct. And also, look at the publicity Jeff Beck's getting out of it. I mean, think about well, it. Well, it's the biggest he's ever been. That's right. You know, and, and we went up on sale during all of that. Didn't hurt at all. You know, um, exciting. I'm actually hearing that um, Disney are coming around to Captain Jack Sparrow again. Have you heard this? You I heard that? that they were even coming around about it before he was even acquitted because it was such a big deal. I mean, look, th they say... PR is PR. All press is good press. But Johnny Depp did exactly 
what uh, uh, what Dennis Leary used to say. You know, like, you know, you do drugs once, then you come out, and you say, "I'm sorry," and then everyone's like, "You're the fucking greatest," and put you on the cover of People. And that's not exactly it. But he goes up there and he says he's so earnest. He's like, "Yeah, maybe I was a little drunk. I don't even remember what roles I'm in." And he's just <laughs> enjoyable as a human being. It doesn't even matter now. Everyone's so bought into Johnny Depp. He can do anything because now that you realize he's not this giant monster and he's certainly no more monster than that monster he was married to. Now we can like him again, which I liked him the whole time, but now we can like him again. And now he's the biggest ever. So if he was suing for 55 million, I bet you Oprah will invite him on for fucking 55 million dollars just to, to, to talk about what it's like for a man to be abused. His life's going to change. Um, and for much better ways. No, he's in a good place right now. He's in a good place. And you got to think, if you were him, I mean, my God, I mean, he wanted to be in a rock band and a rock star, and it all came true for him. You know, he calls acting his day job, by the way. <laughs> well, you know what? He's so, he's so talented that he might be able to make that his day job, uh, you know, his, because if he does this thing, well, first off, Jeff Beck, let's talk about him because Jeff Beck is notoriously the greatest guitarist that didn't get the acclaim that Clapton or Santana or all these other guitar players that just are not as good. I'll say it. They aren't as good as Jeff Beck, but Jeff Beck is so like highbrow that like a lot of the people that like listen to I shot the sheriff could not understand what he was doing with the whammy bar. But now that he's friends with, you know, Johnny Depp, who acknowledges that Jeff Beck is the greatest. He shows back up in England for the first time, like in a public appearance, where on stage with Jeff Beck, and I guarantee you more <clears throat> Zennials, Millennials, Generation, you know, Z2 or whatever the hell they are on now, <laughs> Googled Jeff Beck. They're like the greatest guitarist that nobody cared about. And like, we're going to care about him now. Thanks, Johnny. And that's where we're at. Jeff Beck's going to be replacing Eric Clapton since Eric Clapton's a racist and doesn't deny science we're opening up the door for Eric, uh, for for Jeff Beck and Johnny Depp rant over yeah, sure well he was on a Friday he was in court getting acquitted as it were and on Sunday he was in Sheffield England on stage with Jeff Beck I mean of course when he walked on huge not a bad week <laughs> yeah and it just gets better and better and better and then we announced the, the vampires in the middle of all that, you know, and it's, it's exciting. We're doing the O2 in London, which is the 18,000 seater. Exciting. Well, incredible. Are you, are you, are you excited that, cause I know you're a British guy that plays guitar that yeah. you now have an excuse to talk to Jeff Beck. Oh, I don't know about that. Well, <laughs> of course I'd like to, maybe, I don't think I'll be jamming with him anytime soon. But well, he, he you won't if you have that mindset, Steve. No, listen, have you, I, I mean, this is, I didn't mean this to be a Jeff Beck conversation, but I sent I you, I send you clips of him playing things, Benny, that just, I don't know, I throw up my, I mean, I don't get it. How can you be that good? What, I, I don't know, I'm speechless. Speechless. Yeah, I, no. I mean, he—he, he, I, I think it's incredible, and of course, it's Jeff Beck's year because who, who, who's he playing with when he's not with Johnny Depp now? 
He's playing on Ozzy Osbourne's new song, Patient Number Nine. Yeah, yeah. Is that not with with, right. with yeah with Robert Trujillo from Metallica and Chad Smith from yeah. the Red Hot Chili Peppers? So Jeff Beck has gone from being Eric Clapton's like fill in to now playing with JD. We can just call him JD at this point and Ozzy because we don't even need an Osbourne. So I guess it is Jeff's year. Uh, that's my end of my rant because I love Jeff Beck and I'm glad he finally got to do it. But most importantly, your client, Johnny Depp finally reached his dream, which is to be a rock star. He said, um, Jeff Beck, that the album, which is out soon, it's called 18. And the reason it's called 18 is when he got with Johnny and they were like trading musical ideas he said they both felt like kids again, like they were 18 years old. And that's why they called the album 18. That's and cool. it's full of covers. There's a Beach Boy oh, that's beautiful. Uh, song. Caroline No, which is a Beach Boy track by Brian Wilson. That's on there. But the way he interprets <clears throat> Jeff Beck, I mean, like People Get Ready, it's one of my favorite guitar solos. I don't know if you you know the track, People Get Ready? Oh, yeah. Oh, of course. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> But, um, I mean, and, listen, I can I can go on and on about Jeff Beck, but but that said, let, let me ask you this: What's it like working for a guy like Johnny Depp? Because everybody talks about him. I mean, I've met him a few times thanks to you. Um, what's he like? Like for those that don't heart. know, a sweet, lovable man, kind, compassionate, friendly. I've never seen him angry. Yeah. He seems I mean, like he maintains so, his composure very well under pressure, obviously, as we've all seen. I mean, think yeah. about what, what what happened to his life. I mean, he went from this guy. I mean, he hung out with Nicolas Cage, said, you know, well, let, you should come with me to auditions. You know, you'll probably get some work while he was trying to be in a band. And that's how he, he it started. Nicolas Cage took him to auditions and... And, but he always wanted to be in a rock band, and now he can be. His house is full of guitars, by the way, all hanging around. The, you know, he has a recording studio. You know what? Um, but he should listen to his friend Nick Cage, because I'll tell you something Nick Cage has that I bet you Johnny doesn't. A Tyrannosaurus Rex skull. Yeah. Did you know a bunch that? Of really expensive comics. Yeah. I think he collects really? comics. Oh. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But yes, he does, he does have that skull. I know. About yeah. That. Well, he won. He won I, it from I, Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean, I put in a bid, but I didn't win. I was a little annoyed. Leo and uh, and clearly Nick Cage outbid me. It was a, it, it was upsetting. I, I just watched the new Nicolas Cage movie. It's really funny. Do you know the one I mean? Where he's I've, um. You, was it I where he plays it himself? He plays himself, or, right? Yeah. Right. Yes, he's playing himself. He's um a a drug dealing um his drug dealer very rich drug dealer hires nicholas cage to come to his like daughter's birthday party and um it, it's just it, it's so funny i can't remember the name is of it, it. The, it's the like unbearable the, weight of massive talent correct yeah <laughs> so it sounds I, like a spinal tap movie <laughs> recommend it very funny nicholas cage funny can i, can I tell you I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to also make a recommendation as far as movies. I don't, especially because it's such an allegory for what's going on right now. But uh, Beavis and Butthead do the universe. Because oh, um, Mike, Mike Judge, 
It's an actual movie. So listen, is I'm going to tell you. It's not advertised. It's I, I think out. it's on streaming oh, it's on or Paramount, something. Paramount Plus. Listen, Mike Judge wrote Idiocracy, okay? Which, oh, by yes, the way, it's the closest thing. Well, <laughs> and he did King of the Hill. And Beavis and Butthead have always always been a sign of what people are actually like so i i remember reading a review from rolling stone from back in the day of beavis and butthead trying to understand that it's not the stupidest thing ever i feel like beavis and butthead was the lowest common denominator before south park and that they were making statements about being so stupid that people didn't realize how stupid it was now if you go and watch this new movie the amount of consistency in stupidity and lack of syntax like just a comma could change the whole movie uh, for Beavis and Butthead. And I got to tell you, it's in a world where there's so many politics and so much weird shit going on outside and everyone's so woke, watching Beavis and Butthead for 90 minutes basically try to have sex with a woman and going through space and time uh, was worth all 90 minutes. So I can recommend oh. that no higher. <laughs> I, I, I actually, I think Beavis and Butthead probably destroyed Winger's career. Actually. They did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they did because they had the dumb guy, uh, whatever, whatever his name was, uh, the, the 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 dumb kid wearing the Winger shirt. So they had ACDC and Metallica. No one even cared about Winger, but because Nelson or whatever his name was wearing the damn shirt, Kip Winger is now never taken seriously. Yeah. Also, there were pictures in Metallica's rehearsal studio of Winger's face on a dartboard. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Speaking of Metallica, yeah, I just watched also the uh, the documentary on Netflix that uh, maybe you've all seen it. It's a two part thing. The first oh. episode is like two and a half hours about them working on the San Anger album. I think no. it's oh, yeah, some, some, kind of some kind of monster. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's interesting. Yeah, it's quite old, people, right? Huh? It's, it's 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 quite old, right? Some kind it, of it might be. It might be. It, it, I it just found old. it the yeah. other day. Yeah, 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 I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, they um, unlikable. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it was an interesting perspective in their personalities for sure. Because as someone that didn't listen to Metallica growing up, it was interesting to see like the, what was going on between all their interpersonal dynamics. You know, I was in in a way involved in part of that movie um, because I remember it was shot a long time ago, actually, and um, I was working with Megadeth at the time. And I got a phone call from their life coach. He's in the movie. Yes, he's, the one he's a that, big part of the movie. Yeah, he he actually came from a um, an NFL team, I believe. He was the life coach for a, a sports team. Don't remember which one. And he called me up, saying, "Look, we're doing this movie, and we'd like to interview Dave Mustaine about like not being in Metallica." I mean, because that famous story, everybody's kind of heard it. Right. He had a um, cameo appearance yeah. in it, yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, they came to where we were, and I took Dave to to a hotel, and they filmed that whole sequence um, there. And that was like the first time, I think, Dave had sat there with them since that happened. It was, you know, so it was a big deal. In fact, he got quite emotional about it. Um, yeah. Look, if you think about it, he, he's like the metal version of Pete Best, who you know oh, was well, in from the, the Beatles. Beatles before Ringo. Oh. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it Pete must Best, affect you. Well, I mean, do, 
But the question is, should I show up to Metallica sh- uh, show saying Mustaine was the best? Because that's what they used to do at the Beatles shows, which is another reason why they didn't want Pete, oh. was because the girls all thought he was the dreamboat. So how that's is Paul, right. Paul and, and George supposed to get any chicks when you got Bestie back there trying to win over all the girls? And he wasn't as funny, which is why they got Ringo, because Ringo had all his Ringoisms. Like, you know, he worked an eight-day <laughs> week. Yeah. It's a hard yeah, day's yeah, night. Yeah. I, I think um, Pete Best's mother had a club or something. That, that anyway, it was helpful to the Beatles. But um, yeah, yeah but, in Hamburg, but, you know, Germany. Yeah, there, there there was something about a club there. But but yes, he was the guy that was most popular, and I think that didn't help him later on in life. But um, Osh, you know, when I think back, I feel so blessed to have actually worked with three of the Beatles. To me, it's what? still. Most people yeah. haven't even met one, so that's that's a pretty big s- statement to make. <laughs> you told us a story about uh, about George, but yeah. where where do the other Beatles come in? Because I'll tell uh, you, um, I was working with Dave Edmonds, incredible guitar player from England, produced all the Stray Cats records and and lots of others, and he was a neighbor of George Harrison, who lived in that Friar Park. Um, it was a monastery that he bought some sort of $40 million, like, huge mansion. And he was friends with Dave. And Dave called me up one day. He said, hey, you want to go for dinner at George's? <laughs> well, I knew who he meant. It was like, ah, no, I'm going to be busy watching TV. Yeah, I want to go. Right. And we go. And Dave, you know, um, had a big gold Rolls Royce in those days. And we went there. And a conversation started about Carl Perkins. Now, you heard of him, right? Great drummer. Carl Perkins. Carl was going to have a a documentary made about him, and he wanted a band around him, and then they play all of his songs. And so during the course of this, this meeting, the band was put together, and the band was made up of George Harrison, Ringo Starr, Eric Clapton, um, the Stray Cats, um, the who's the guitar player? Earl Slick was in it, and all of Dave Edmonds' band. And so I was asked to run all the production for this show, which was going to be filmed. And we would go to rehearsals, and the UK press got hold of this because there's two of the Beatles, you know, first time this had happened in, since they broke up. And we did it. We did the show. Uh, and it was incredible. And there I was, Ringo, Paul, Eric. Unbelievable. I'll never forget it. I mean, crazy. That's wild. Well, so crazy. What, let me ask you this. What's it like being and in a room with, with all those guys playing? You have Ringo Starr back there. There's George Harrison, Eric. Like, and mm-hmm. I mean, nevertheless, what's Brian Setzer doing in the room? Well, he was there because he played that type of music from the 50s. I mean, that's what, you know, the rockabilly. So was he he talking to George Harrison going, let me show you how to rock around the clock? I mean, that's a weird pair. Everybody was was having fun. It was really normal. You know, it was just everybody were chatting. And the same when I worked uh, with Paul McCartney. Um, I mean, to me, when I walked into Air Studios, it's still 
you can't get your head around it when you see him in person. I mean, that's a beetle. It, it blows me away. And I watched him recording the session and he was very kind. He listened you watched to him standing there? Yeah, he was coordinating the session. I was through the window. And no, in the room. I was right in the room. And that was all my Beatles was, references in one sentence, Steve. I watched I him standing there. Yeah. 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 And he listened to what the other people had to say, but then they're going to do it his way. I mean, <laughs> like, <laughs> I was wondering how that ended. So kind of like yeah, get back exactly, the yeah. whole movie. <laughs> exactly. And, and I don't know if I ever told this last time and true story, Linda McCartney was there and she was wonderful. And she was asking everybody, can I get you some tea with some coffee, some biscuits? And she was absolutely super. And we were all sitting there and she told this joke and like, we all could not believe she said this. And she said, true story, hey guys, what do you call a dog with wings? Linda McCartney, swear to God, she told that joke. I got, I couldn't believe it. I well, the self awareness is 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 incredible. <laughs> well, because she was going through a lot of like people were slagging her off because you know she was Paul's wife. That's why she was there, and you know she wasn't a musician, but she took it like a trooper. I mean, just telling that joke to us was never forgotten that. Well, the thing is, if you didn't laugh at the joke, she could have had you killed out back. So. Probably. <laughs> I laughed, uh, but nervously. A nervous laugh. But yeah, and, and George Martin was there, you know? Well, isn't he Sir George Martin? Well, Mr. Sir he wasn't George there. Martin. Yeah. Oh, he wasn't there. fair I enough. Wondered, do you think he got any additional income from producing the Beatles? Because let's be honest. He was the fifth Beatle. I mean, he created so much of what they were trying to do. Do you think he just got paid a producer's fee from EMI? I that would be horrifying. Think, <laughs> yeah, I would assume that he would have some sort of stake in the uh, the publishing and whatnot. And, and <laughs> very bad business he, if he didn't. He, he was he was able to ride that so hard. I mean, just his artwork and all the stuff. Like, I mean, he must have been able to ride that his entire life. I mean. But, yeah, but he did not get publishing. He's not, his name is not any of it. Oh, it's not. All right. I'm Googling his net worth because I'm curious. George Martin. Because everything on the <laughs> oh, internet is true. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's no longer here. His son's like taken over. Giles. Well, listen, at the time of his death, he was worth $100 million. So, so he must I, have had some stake in it. Yeah, maybe he, he was one of the owners of Abbey Road Studios. I don't know. But... I mean, literally, let's be honest, he helped craft many of those songs to what they are today, like in my life and um, yesterday. With, and he wrote the parts. He, he wrote the, the orchestration. You know, so I often wondered about that. So if yeah. I ever meet Giles Martin, I'm going to ask him. Ah. I went to Love a few months ago in Las Vegas. You guys seen it? S seen what? Oh, love. love the Beatles. The Beatles um, is it Cirque du Soleil or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you seen it? I have not. I oh, have well. not. There's a, I have to tell you, I've seen it like three times. And at the very end, 
Um, I mean, all these songs are, are being played, and they're all magnificent. Four massive posters unfurl of each Beatle. They come down. And I actually had moist eyes um, because I realized this is never going to happen again. This is, that's never going to be repeated. That's what they're what saying they in the lab when they're creating the holograms of everybody going, everyone's been saying this is never going to happen again until now. Well, <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean. I mean, it was, it was like, it was to me um, emotional. And, um, Oh, I can believe it's that. It's not going to happen again. Look at music today. It, it's not going to happen again. But, by the it way, was, interesting uh, fact. Yeah. I just want to bring it back to George Martin. I looked it up. He was getting paid yeah. only 3,000 pounds a year and then got annoyed when he generated millions and millions of, uh, right. of pounds for EMI. And then he was the first one to cut a deal where he gets part uh, part of the revenue. So he actually cut that deal and I guess he created the landscape for future producers to take points yeah it's an interesting yeah interesting to think he about invented it of the, the time. model right yeah, but even always, now I've it's interesting to, no go ahead go ahead sorry no that's it i just said i always often thought about that yeah well even now i was going to say it's interesting like observing different artists and working with people how many people play a part in the creation of a song too and how even that gets split up um you know, determining what level of what level of ownership do you have over something if you're just in the room, you know, and you throw out an idea or a hook or you play a diddly on the piano and all of a sudden that builds the entire song. You know, it's, it's interesting. Look, you're in a band, like Star said. I mean, I often wonder how, like, there'll be a, like a main writer, but the drummer plays his parts, the bass player's playing his parts. At what point do you have some ownership and at what point do you not? It, yeah. It's... Uh, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, no, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, in our case, you know, Dustin, the singer, is the primary writer, you know, and he works with other people, producers, and um, he yeah, controls I, I don't it know. all, Steve. He controls it all. <laughs> he doesn't even let them play on the record. On show, right? But yeah, yeah, but exactly. How brilliant this is. He's friends with everyone in the band. They're all capable because he wanted to answer your question, which is no control steve instead he hires session musicians and then brings it to the band and says play this so that <laughs> therefore they can't say anything that they've improvised any of their stuff they're actually covering themselves <laughs> is that, is that but, the way it goes yeah uh, yeah so i mean is basically all, yeah all of us we you know we're in the band and we perform but yeah this the songs are all basically entirely written by him and his I team of people that he works with and yeah. just so you know how brilliant he is Ron, their bass player, not only is a genius at logistics and operations, but can also fix a bus. <laughs> really? I'm serious. Yeah, that's why well, he's their okay. bass player. I mean, he, he speaks he multiple languages. He literally he can book tours. He books the tours for you, doesn't he? He he helps. I mean, Ron's very involved in the logistics. I mean, Starset is probably not your typical band model. You know, it really is... Um, a business in a lot of ways. Dustin is the primary creative director. It's brilliant. Um, but yeah, when it comes, it's interesting talking about the buses and logistics because Starset, you know, we own the buses that we that we use, you know, so finding drivers oh, is one thing. But luckily, you know, we're not at the helm of having to rent from somebody. There's, those are in the stock, you brilliant. know. So we have that in the capital stock available, you know, however they decide to do it. But yeah, they, they were really so ahead of the game with... Are you, is Starset one guy or with 
employees or how does that work? Actually? I mean, it's a good question. I guess it depends on how you define it. I mean, we're all part of the the brand of the band and I, you know, I don't want to speak for them, but um, when it comes to the writing of the music and the direction of, you know, where things are going or what's coming next. Yeah. I, I don't really have any control of that. So a little bit of both, I suppose. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. Cause he's a, he, he's, he's a visionary. It seems like from an outside perspective that, definitely masterminds everything but he he makes it integral in the sense that everybody in the band has their own story they're all woven into this fabric so even though yeah. Siobhan may not be playing on the uh, on the on the record people know who she is because the way he brands the band every single character uh, uh, every single member of the band is a character in this story so well, really it's, he's it's still a universe them. yeah so it's, in, it's, it's a not universe. really it's not really a band or versus Star one person Wars. it's yeah it's it, it's a it's a Ghostbusters. universe yeah, exactly. It's it's an overarching thing that encompasses many things, Jurassic including the band, Park. including the story, including the music, and every every person has a place in that. But you know your level and of involvement and the outfits, yeah, and, yeah. and the outfits as well. And did he design all those? The they weren't custom designed, but the idea was you know that was their idea. But the, you know they found what matched the aesthetic of the where where the you know vision was going. I was meaning to ask you now. Now that you're on tour, how's it? What's it like? Um, in, are you enjoying festival touring? Yeah. Well, we haven't been doing a lot of festivals. This is so interesting. You were talking about five nights a week. That's kind of what we're doing right now. We're on a headline tour. So, um, we had done one. You know, post COVID, we did a small acoustic tour in uh, summer of 2021. We did another headline tour in the winter, which is I think when we last spoke to you, and that was it. Wasn't really selling as well as it is now. So I think now we're kind of in another arena of people really going all out to concerts so we it's actually been going quite well um most of the places yeah it's it most of the places the crowds are great um but you're right i think it's pretty apparent that we're competing with a lot of other acts and venues and you know everyone going out at the same time you know when you were talking about godsmack i'm like well yeah it makes sense because you know some of our routing is very strange because of having to compete with other people you know people that are going at the same venues so uh it's. I would say it's not quite like some of our other tours, but it's been great. You know, better than expected. I think. How's COVID affecting you? I mean, do you have COVID compliance officers, or how do you deal with it? So far, but I'm dealing with it right now with Joe Perry. Really? Well, we're going into Canada soon, and we definitely had to present some extra stuff for that. I mean, we had to send all of the COVID cards and everything. But for the most part, at the venues, it's. There haven't been many mask mandates or requirements for testing or anything, so it's been pretty open for the most part. Um, and luckily, well, no one's gotten sick to yeah. the point of not being able to perform. So, well, uh, we start the Joe Perry rehearsals up in the Boston area soon, and um, I went to Live Nation and I got them to hook me up with a, a like professional COVID testing facility, mm-hmm. and um, you cannot enter the rehearsal unless you have a negative test and i have a a, um, a team there and mm-hmm. that everybody that comes in has to be tested daily do you have that on on tours do, are you right now no I, I would say more in the winter tour that we did that was a lot more live nation venues we dealt with that a lot more so i remember having to do some of the rapid tests or you had to present your vaccine card wow. it was it was much more difficult i think in you know this was six seven months ago uh, also might be venue things if they're live nation venues that probably changes a lot too yeah. 
Yeah. So. Well, we're, we're dealing with it, but it's quite expensive to actually hire a company because they, oh, they do it all professionally. Yeah. Um, I think across but, the board, know, everything is more expensive, it seems like, you know, the transportation, the drivers, the oh, COVID yeah. protocols, everything. I think touring, yeah, you have to be in a really good position to be able to manage all of the necessary expenses because everything's well, just more. Well, and not only that, be- because of COVID, all the promoters took such a beating by, by not being able to play. They were dropping their guarantees about 20% of what you got mm-hmm. last time around because right. you know, they made no money. And so things cost more and you're getting paid less. Right, right. And that's the other joke. It's inflation affects everything except, oh, yeah, let's just <laughs> pay musicians yeah. less and lower ticket prices. And it's it's the one area where it seems like everything has gone down rather than and, not. And an, another trend that I'm seeing a lot, which is very upsetting to me, is bands just not bringing a bassist on tour. <laughs> I've that's seen, terrible. I've seen so many shows where there's just no bass. They're just like, fuck that guy. Oh. <laughs> well, wow. I, I saw you on a video uh, a little while ago where you were playing an outdoor festival. And you were already getting oh, me? into it. What <laughs> was that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was um, I was opening for Trace Adkins with uh, with a with a group that I play with from time to time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It wasn't uh, it wasn't a tour or anything. It was just a one off. But uh, yeah, it was fun. I saw you. Well, you know what? In response to what you were saying about you know people just not having bass players, I have to tell you a story. When I was uh, tour managing Kiss, they used to have an off. Stage keyboard player. His name's Gary Corbett. Uh, unfortunately, Gary was also uh, part of Cinderella, actually, and uh, he unfortunately passed away a few months ago. But um, we were on a tour. I think it was the Hot in the Shade tour, and um, the ticket sales sales weren't great, so cuts had to be made. And so there was a meeting of Gene and Paul, and I was there, and they were working. What can we cut? you know, keep the train rolling. But, and the idea was, well, we could record the keyboard player's parts. This is before everything was digital, tape everything that he does and fire him and then just play his parts (laughs) through the PA. And they said, that's a great idea. That's exactly what they did. And then everyone followed suit on everything. Yeah. they just taped him and he played his parts. Um, you know, there's lots of stories about Kiss and money, and they're probably all true, actually. But, um, <laughs> it's still with, it's still with wonderful memories for me. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, yeah, no, but touring has been interesting. I mean, another story that's coming back to the driver thing, we're touring with a band called Red, which you guys might know. They're, they're, I love their music. They're great. But uh, one, of, I think it might be the bass player that's actually driving the bus also. So he's playing the show. Yeah, he has the license. And so how he's justifying his job. He's like, no, guys, I'll drive, too. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, no, I don't know how he does it. Yeah. I don't know how he does it, but it's just funny to see them rolling in. And it's one of the guys in the band driving the bus. (laughs) Well, you know, uh, these days, I will tell you, if you are a multifaceted crew person these days, your worth is really much higher than if you just do one thing. So if you're a a tour manager that has knowledge of accounting as well, then you can do that. Um, That saves an extra person and you charge a bit more, but you 
you know, so that or sound engineers that can do production. That's another one that's very popular. I've seen tour managers that are production managers and tour accountants are doing all three. It, it's, yeah. it's out there. The, the yeah, work is out there. For us, it's uh, front of house and uh, tour management is combined in one person. So I think that's pretty common as well. Yeah, and I, I've seen sound engineers run monitors as well, which I don't know how that works, but they do, you know. So when do you go back out on the road again, Siobhan? When, when are you playing again? Oh, oh we're, we're playing tomorrow. I mean, we basically, we've been oh. on one sort of long tour, but it was broken up into a support tour and then a headline. So the first month we were supporting Seether and Breaking Benjamin. So those were bigger venues like arenas and amphitheaters. And then now we're doing sort of House of Blues type venues you know, different levels of capacity as a headline. And we've got three support acts that go before us. So we're going until I, middle, I, of July. middle of July. And, and did Mike Plotnikoff work with you? Have I got that right? Did he engine do Mike Plotnikoff, the engineer? Did he work with you? Uh, I'm not bell? sure. May, with Starset, maybe. I'm not sure. Who, um, who, who produced your records? Uh, well, the, some of them were self-produced. Dustin produced, I think, uh, I would have of to course. ask him to make sure. But um, he worked with Rob Graves, I know, who produced, I believe, the first two. But correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not really sure. <laughs> I don't want to speak <laughs> with 100% confidence. But he's worked with a number of different people, and some of it has been self-produced. Well, I've got some news for you guys. Okay. Something you... Marty Friedman called me. Oh, he did. Friend. Yes, he did. I love Marty. Marty? Tell us oh, about God, Marty. How could you not? We've been friends for years, Marty and I. And even, you know, after Mega, we kept in touch. And every time I go to Japan, we go for dinner. And um, so Marty calls me up and he goes, dude. And I don't know why, but he always does that when, whenever I, it's dude. He said, listen, <laughs> COVID's coming to an end. And, um, I, I want to get back out there. I want to make up for lost time. And um, I, I have a manager in Japan. So I'm, got, I'm all good there because he, he has his own life in Japan. He's on TV. He plays at the Budokan with the Tokyo Philharmonic supporting him. You know, he's got it going on. He's recognized in the streets. And he um, says, I, I want to go back and tour the world. He says, I don't have a manager. So he said, what, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> and uh, so we, we got to talking. And no way. I would love nothing more. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm going to do this with Marty. And I immediately contacted an agent who I need an agent who's in the trenches, right? And so we immediately came up with this idea, like G3. And so the idea of, and, uh, first of all, was Paul Gilbert, Marty Friedman, and John Five. I and like that lineup. Wow. So and That's scarier look, than G3 to me. Well, yeah, it's a limited <laughs> appeal, but there is a market for the shredding, you know. Yeah, it's a bunch of dudes um, like me and Corey wearing maiden shirts going... <laughs> Paul is unbelievable, but Marty does cooler things with the way he plays. But they're both great. Well, yeah, the shredding, you're well, Lost Symphony is all about that. I mean, that's what I know. That's so, why my mom listens um, to us. So Paul Gilbert, he was the first 
person, his manager called me up and he's all about it. But then a couple of days later, Paul Gilbert, I don't know, had cold feet. So Alex Skolnick is now in the frame. Okay. And I know that's why I'm telling oh, you. Oh, I talked story. to Alex today. I think I know where this is going, but I'll let you finish. Cause I, I yeah. did speak oh, to Mr. Skolnick cause we're friends. It, that's where it's going. I mean, this is now we are holding buildings and we're, you know, I'm sure Boston's going to be on the, on the list. We're putting this together. Hell yeah. And, and I told Marty, I'll get him the publicist and we'll make this happen. And for the shredders that like want to see this, it's going to be a wonderful night. Wait a like- minute. We should make them play Lost Symphony now because now they have acknowledged each other's existence because they're in the same room. In fact, Alex told me that he's going to play, and tell me if I'm wrong, Rock in Rio with Metal Allegiance, which That's is, right. I believe, what you're speaking about, correct? That's a different thing. That's nothing to what I'm talking Is what it going to be with Marty Friedman, too? Because I know Marty played in Metal Allegiance at one point. Yes, but this is a special, a different thing altogether. This is basically me handling Marty putting together a tour. Wow. Of three guitar players. And then, while all that's going on, David Ellison, have you heard this? this have you heard from David recently? Well, actually, Not I really. just broke he a story online. Though. I saw him at NAM, and he told me that he's now back in the saddle with Mr. Jeff Young from So Far, So Correct. Good, So I'm What. Done. And that he's even been jamming a little bit with Jimmy DeGrasso, who used to play with Alice Cooper, but also played uh, with Al Petrelli and Megadeth back in the day when, when they released Dread in the Future. I still manage that era and many eras for Megadeth. But so, yeah, Steve, the only people on the internet that know this it went on to Metal Injection and Blabbermouth when they re-shared re- my story because I happened to be, we know this, we're friends with David Ellison. He was in Lost Symphony. I ran into him at NAM and I was like, hey man, you want to talk? And he's like, yeah! And then he just lets loose. So uh, Jeff was playing me, and by Jeff, I mean Jeff Young, some stuff that uh, you know was on, supposed to be on so, uh, the next album, Rust in Peace, but he didn't end up staying in the band. He goes, I remember those songs and now we're doing them. Years later, yeah. uh, so uh, well, yes. yes, David's happy. David thinks it's um, you know he, it'll probably upset Mustaine, which I think he gets some joy out of. But, um, <laughs> As he he might and should. The ever complicated yeah. story. Yeah. Um, uh, also, Dave Mustaine's wife uh, got in touch with me the other day because um, I haven't spoken to her in years, and. Uh, she uh, she called me up and she said, um, hey, I'm in the Lake District in England. Um, and do you know anybody that could hook me up that knows anything about falconry? <laughs> what? What a random thing like to call. Falconry is like a big glove and yeah. a friggin' great hawk on there. And I go, oh, yeah. I got, uh, how many people? Do- no, I, I don't <laughs> know anybody. No. Uh, was but, Bruce Dickinson not available <laughs> that day? Or is he too busy jousting? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just, it's funny. I brought it up because we're talking about these Megadeth things. and um, But the Marty thing is exciting to me. I, so wait, I is like it John, it's exciting, it's John exciting five, to me as well. <laughs> wait, is it yeah. John 5, Marty, and Skolnick? That, that was the discussion we were talking about because Paul Gilbert was the original idea. Because those are three of the scariest guitarists on the planet. 
Like literally, because so, oh, I've oh. seen John Five, and he's one of those guys. First off, very small, dainty hands for a guy that plays. Like when I shook his hand, <laughs> I'm like, wow, you have like little girl hands. And meanwhile, he's playing like six octaves on the guitar. But he's the scariest. And not even just because he wears a mask. The scariest player as far as like can chicken pick, can play Van Halen. Like he is terrifyingly good. He's the guy that when we were doing Lost Symphony, I used to always say, well, if there's anybody who's going to come in and be... Because like for me, Bumblefoot is the is the savant like rain man. Like he sat there. I understand the friction. Like that's Bumblefoot. So anyone... I saw Skolnick play with Bumblefoot on the Les Paul documentary we're doing and Skolnick has a masters in jazz and even him he was like trying to it was so great watching him play against the machine it was like the chess master against the artificial intelligence that thinks it's sentient is Bumblefoot because those guys are so tremendous John Five could do it Marty would just as David Ellison told me would just bend into it so he'd fuck it up <laughs> but then bend it like it was right because that's the thing that makes Mar that's his superpower is he can bend anything until it's right oh, I I saw something the other day which blew me away on guitar playing I, I listened to um, that um, uh, that guy on YouTube um, he's got like two million followers that, that talks about music all the time what's his name I've gone completely blank uh, Leffitz Oh, Bob I think Leffitz. I know. Right here, brushback in Atlanta. Rick, oh, Rick Beato. Oh, yeah, Beato. Rick, yeah, Rick Beato. Yeah. He's the greatest. He, he, I think it was Ron Thal. How do you pronounce it? Thal? Ron Thal. Yeah, that's Thal. Bumblefoot. Yeah. Yeah, Bumblefoot. That's Bumblefoot. Bumblefoot, yeah. Playing a fretless guitar? Yeah. For yeah. Back it's in insane. Black. Perfectly. Yeah. Perfectly. Yeah, it's incredible. Well, that's, that's well, so let's set this up. So let's set this up. So basically, Rick Be uh, Beato yeah. it has these incredible things where he reimagined the Stairway to Heaven solo. So he called up uh, Phil yeah, X. He called up Phil X, who's playing with Bon Jovi. And then Bumblefoot was the secret guest because we all... Rick Beato is one of the few guys that agrees with me in the sense that he blatantly acknowledges that Bumblefoot is the end-all, be-all, craziest guitarist. He says it constantly. What would you do if you reimagined the Back in Black solo, which is perfectly simple yeah i watched it yeah yeah I watched so it. but but the funny part is that phil x and rick both play solos that are very deviant from the yeah. original whereas bumblefoot goes and plays on the fretless guitar Correct. but it's the closest thing to embodying right. angus young which is why bumblefoot reigns supreme for me because how could you make angus young sound like Great. angus young on a fretless guitar that's right Exactly. I I didn't care for the other two versions, actually. It didn't work for me because the actual ACDC one is so sacred. Yeah, how can you... Perfect. You can't, you can't not hear those notes. Um, so we'll actually... We'll yeah, put a link... We're going to put a link to that video uh, in the description, so make sure you check it out below. And actually, we are coming to the end of our first hour, Steve. No! We are, we are flying Yes, no, I have so many questions this. for the second part. <laughs> <laughs> it's too good. He calls me sometime. Wait, you're friends with him? Okay. All right, well, we got, we'll we're, talk about it in part two. We're going to talk two. about that in part two, all right? We're gonna, we're, so, Steve, Save the thank stories. you. Thank you for hanging with us. We're going we're gonna to be back next week with part two. 2020-d.com like and subscribe to the podcast and stay tuned 
Thank you as always for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-d.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 111 featuring Miles Kennedy of Alter Bridge Slash and his own solo career. Check it out. I was going to ask, have you busted out the trumpet at all on any of these records? <laughs> I tried. Okay, on the first solo record, I I had there was a part on a song called um, Devil on the Wall, and I heard like this kind of mariachi band part, and I was like, you know what? I'm let's rent me a trumpet because my my little brother took my trumpet years ago and lost it, so I don't know where my trumpet is anymore. <laughs> um, but basically, it was kind of like. And there's footage of it online somewhere of me trying to play like I'm wearing this like a pork pie hat and I'm, it's the first time <laughs> I tried to play in like decades and my embouchure you know with trumpet players you develop your embouchure and it's like a muscle and right completely non-existent and it's pretty funny actually me you should hear how bad I am <laughs> so we, I, the, I think Elvis my producer was like he heard me in there rehearsing because I was like, "Hey, Elvis, trust me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get, it. I'm gonna get my Amish bank." So yeah, yeah, just go for it. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's programming at MIDI. FD. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happened. In fact, I think we just cut the part. Yeah, that's not gonna work. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there.